Hello and welcome to the Forthos cast. I'm Lorelai Weisel. I'm Chris Delano. And I'm Doug Beyer. Hi, Doug. Welcome to the show. Thanks for having me. You know, you you are a employee of Wizards of the Coast, uh, a company that our listeners might be a little bit familiar with. Um, you know, you've been uh, you've been on the world building team a long time now, haven't you? Yes, that's that's very true. Um, I started on the on the team that is now called World Building in two thousand six. Wow, it's probably been through several different name changes since you started. Then, yeah, it's been called a few things at that time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so um, I, I guess for. Uh, all the folks out there who may not know who you are and what you do, uh, wh- what what are your kind of basic responsibilities on, on that world building team? Um, so I am a principal creative designer. What that means is uh, I work on the world building for worlds, which is like leading, uh, doing creative leadership for magic sets and working on coordinating all the world building efforts that go into uh, magic's various worlds. I don't lead all of them, but I lead many of them. <laughs> um, I also work on concepting, which is writing art descriptions that go to magic artists to illustrate magic arts. I work with uh, set design leads and play designers to uh, figure out the details of how the creative and mechanics for magic cards should interact. And I sometimes work on uh, creative text as well. I did for Ikoria. Wow, wow. I'm actually doing creative text for magic. <laughs> <laughs> so you mentioned that you've worked on other... I mean, obviously, you you did Ikoria, which is why we have you on today, but you've worked on some other worlds as well. So which ones stand out that you, you've worked on? Um, let's see. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the very first work I did in any kind of creative capacity on, on magic was uh, back in Lorwyn. Um and the most recent before Ikoria was War of the Spark. I was creative lead for War. So um, a whole lot of worlds in between. Uh, Kaladesh and worked on uh, Shadows of Innistrad. And um, yeah, it's at this point where we're like in the double digit sets that I've worked on. And like the list is not coming super well to mind. But yeah. Uh, yeah, so uh, you were my boss on Akoria because I, I uh, wrote for that set. Uh, that was a, a very fun set to work on. This is a, a delightful world. Uh, I, I think one of my favorite that Magic has ever put together. That's uh, I, I am a huge, huge kaiju fan, and uh, you know, you know, when I when I first got the first email for this set, I I kind of lost my mind a little bit. So, uh, <laughs> and we. We were very excited to have you on board for that team. That was that was really awesome. That, that, that fit made a lot of sense from our end as well. <laughs> I'm glad. I'm glad it worked out. Um, so I, I guess uh, the, our first question is, uh, what kind of goes into uh, world building for Ikoria? What are the kinds of things that you worked on um, at the start of the process? Yeah, the, the, the seed of the idea for Ikoria came out of thinking of, of it in terms of a world where evolution, like the, the force of change was going haywire and just like cranking mm-hmm. it up to 11. Like what would happen if you had a world where creatures were able to change um, just day to day instead of over many, many generations? Um, that was the, really the seed. It kind of like what, what would happen in that world where you get mm-hmm. a lot of cool adaptations, you get uh, interesting you know, changes to the, the nature of individual creatures, but then you'd also get really, really big creatures. So like 
that kind of led to um, not just this is sped up evolution world. This is this is monster world. This is this is about monsters, um, and that was the seed that like there's many other like like the idea itself kind of evolved from there, um, and the it still wasn't like greenlit as a world from the like let's do a a monster focused world until the idea of of bonding came along. Um, mm -hmm. There was an illustration by Sam Burley early on that was just mostly supposed to demonstrate um, monsters are cool. Here's a cool monster. Um, mm -hmm. But it showed this interaction between this enormous, gigantic monster that could clearly crush you um, and a, a tiny, tiny human figure. And that illustration um, really grabbed hearts and minds within the building. And that's when we knew there was like there was a possibility of a real emotional heart to Ikoria beyond just the stompy monsters. There's this possibility of connection between monsters and humans. Yeah, uh, that piece is great. I, I believe um, the web team put that uh, in. Uh, you did a, a small interview article with a few other folks with uh, Maris uh, that got published. Yeah, I don't know, about a month ago. Yeah, that that piece is great. The the Ikoria concept art is unreal. Um, <laughs> I like I said I had I had so much fun. Um, so so kind of uh, as as this plane was developing, um, you know what kinds of things outside magic inspired it? Mm. Like cl clearly, like we ended up in a place where kaiju films were kind of an inspiration. So so what kind of things um, kind of influenced the creative design? Yeah, as that process happened. Yeah, Akoria. Uh, had a lot of parents in uh, in different media. Certainly, uh, classic monster movies, monster films were um, an inspiration. But also, like uh, How to Train Your Dragon, the kind mm -hmm. of um, uh, you know kid and his dog kind of um, <laughs> feel like mm -hmm. that that really resonated. The feeling of like, what if the most fearsome creature on this world were your buddy? Like that's the um, that. There's there's a lot of uh, stories and movies in that genre as well. Um, I I have to say, um, you know, you know, the whole co companion mechanic kind of is is the flavorful thing about this. And I, I was very happy uh, working on this set when I saw Obosh, because um, I was like, of course, Doug put a Hellion to be your best friend in the set. Because <laughs> I knew you're a huge Hellion fan. I am. There's you know, everybody's got like a, a weird pet creature type that's like literally you want them to be your pet. I don't know why, <laughs> um, you know. Big smashy destructive hellions are my thing. Um, I just think that it's sort of like they—they are uncontrollable. I like that about them. They're sort of like they answer to nothing and nobody. And uh, so yeah, when when we're going to do the cycle of uh, kind of double cycle of companions, um, I was looking at you know all kinds of interesting creature type combinations for uh, the monsters in this world because mm -hmm. we we're looking looking for you know a tale where. Um, Mutation and evolution is out of control on Ikoria, and creatures are combining all kinds of different ways. So yeah, you know, I had like a piece of paper with all kinds of possibilities on it, and Hellion was just kind of like hanging out there looking for a home. <laughs> and uh, I was like, this is going to appeal to at least one human being on the Earth, <laughs> maybe more. Oh, it's me. I'm the person. I <laughs> I also adore Hellions. Um, my probably still my favorite piece of magic art uh, is uh, Caldera Hellion by Raymond Swalland. Yeah, so good. Um, that that piece is 
the energy, the perspective, the the size that you feel even on on the physical card is just so good. <laughs> I absolutely love the flavor of the companions, and I especially love the flavor and the concept of uh, someone just randomly bonding with a demon leviathan. <laughs> you know, it's like, like that one's got a really that one's got to really suck. You know, it's just like oh, I get to bond with some sort of powerful magical creature, and I get the demon leviathan. <laughs> Oh, like, Speak for yourself. That would be awesome. <laughs> I mean, there's a little bit of uh, never-ending story there too. The vibe of, um, you know, what if a luck dragon became your friend? And not only that, but like at the end of the movie, gets to kind of like you ride it into town and like chase your bullies, like <laughs> <laughs> like let your your monster friend kind of grant you wishes, get you out of trouble, and also like you know punish all your enemies. Is <laughs> kind of like some of the wish fulfillment there that Corey is trying to provide. Yeah, you don't want to bully anybody because you never know when they're going to come back with like a nightmare cat. Right. Right. Or demon leviathan. Yeah, so uh, are, are you, by the way, uh, a Godzilla fan at all? I I do like Godzilla movies in that, like, you know, mm-hmm. I used to watch um, old Godzilla films with my dad on like a Saturday afternoon. Um, I mean, I had to look into the lore a bit to uh, look up some of the the sort of not top tier Godzilla monsters to know what else was in the kind of the Toho catalog. Um, we had to do some research there because we didn't have it all on, on the top of our heads. But yeah, I, I've uh, enjoyed Godzilla films. Where in the process did like the whole Godzilla series cards even happen? And like, how, how did those creatively end up coming together? Yeah, that was a, that project was really cool. Um, we did not know at the start of working on Ikoria that we were going to do this project with, with the, uh, the Godzilla series monsters. Um, that came later on, and it just it made so much sense once someone uh, uh, brought it onto the table. It was just it was really fascinating. It was kind of like, we have this opportunity. Would this make sense here? It was like, yes. <laughs> like the, No other <laughs> world would this ever make as much sense as right now. Um, and we figured out the... The way to kind of deliver on um, all these creatures have an Akoria uh, monster as its basis, but then we look for a Godzilla or Toho monster to um, to kind of overlay it to kind of be you know how the the alt art version of this creature, if you will, and then but, mm-hmm. but with an alt name, which is like new territory for us. Um, mm-hmm. And so you really kind of get the best of both worlds if you. If you're just mostly into Aquaria and you want to focus on the world building and how these monsters are represented there, great. Here, here's your your you know straightforward version. Um, but then this other opportunity with this you know this company that was yeah we'll play ball we'll we'll, <laughs> we'll we will uh, also invest in this world of Aquaria with you. Um, it was really cool. It just it came together. Uh, yeah, uh, I, I assume that happened after Creative Text because I had no idea this was happening when I was working on the set. That was that was going on in parallel with Creative Text. So there was some we weren't oh, okay. sure about every single detail of how it would work out. So we worked on the uh, the details of that internally rather than um, working with external writers uh, for that mm-hmm. series. So yeah, it was kind of a little bit of a surprise. <laughs> That's fun. Oh yeah, I I didn't find out until I was working on uh, Arena uh, for this set. My boss had mentioned offhand something about the Godzilla styles, and I was like, "Excuse me." <laughs> uh, so so like he he told me about the whole plan. I I lost my mind. Um, I I have been a Godzilla fan since I was a tiny little child. Uh, so this is like 
you know, the the fact that I'm sitting here in 2020 and there are Dorats on a Magic the Gathering card, <laughs> like, explodes my brain. <laughs> Nuclear explosion. Um, it's it's very cool. It's, it's a, a very, very exciting promotion. Um, did you, Doug, did you get to write the art descriptions for the Godzilla series cards? Um, I did not. That was some of my coworkers who, who worked on that. Um, it, there was... Uh, like I was finishing up the end of Akoria and working on some of the last parts of the creative text. And uh, just that was spinning up as I was moving off to other projects. So yeah, mm -hmm. um, uh, an art director of video Cartagena worked on uh, getting art for those together and it worked out really, really well. Yeah, it is some fantastic art on the Godzilla series cards. And I imagine that there was a lot of interplay with uh working with the artists and then also working with Toho to make sure style guides were followed and things of that sort. Yeah. I, as, as far as I remember the, the, um, there wasn't too much pushback on the, the way the art was presented. Like they loved the illustrations. Um, mm -hmm. part of it was just finding, okay, here's the list of monsters we want to represent in, uh, the set. And then how is that going to line up with, um, Ikoria monsters, right? Like, so there was kind of a grid and kind of a, um, figuring out exactly what would line up best with what other thing. We decided not to change any creature types uh, for the, so only the name and art are different, but otherwise the card is, all, all the mechanically functional things are the same. Um, mm -hmm. uh, but yeah, the so there were some some interesting swaps around to, to make sure that the monsters we wanted to represent found homes on Aquaria monsters that made, made sense. Uh, so I, I guess while we're talking about flavor text, um, you know, uh, a question some of uh, the other co-hosts had uh, is that uh, mutate takes up a lot of rule space, uh, which resulted in none of the mutate cards having room for flavor text. And, and uh, how how that kind of uh, impacted the way you put the rest of the set together, because that specific mechanic kind of wasn't represented there yeah. flavorfully. Yeah, that off, that happens in magic from time to time. Mm -hmm. Where uh, okay, here's here's a mechanic that's going to be kind of the centerpiece of the way uh, monsters are portrayed in the set. This is the gameplay that's really fun. Um, it makes sense when you do it, but when you type it out, holy moly, it's a bit of a um, a mouthful. Um, and yeah, that tends to bump flavor text, uh, which is kind of rough when you're you know these are the monsters that are doing the thing that that the you know mm -hmm. part of the um, I mean, back to the Toho, Toho project, the uh, an er, sort of internal slogan for the set was "Evolve your your uh, build your own Godzilla." So this was, um, and it just worked out that Godzilla was actually going to be part of the set later. Um, but yeah, so this is the main thing that that the gameplay was about, and no flavor text, sad face, um, but that happens, uh, and. What you do in that scenario is you focus on other cards and look for ways to use less texty cards to establish the information, like get across the world building that you wanted to do mm -hmm. on those mutate cards. Um, so yeah, we were looked for simpler cards, lower rarities, less text. Uh, you know, French vanillas are great when you're trying to establish some world details, and uh, mm -hmm. you look for those. <laughs> you look for those gems where it's kind of like, oh, this has room for like five or six lines. We can we can oh, yeah. we can get across so much information here, and then hopefully as a gestalt, you know, the the player gets to kind of see across the 
set as a whole, and you get a vibe for um, uh, the warbling of Ikoria without you know seeing any particular mutate monster delivering any of that information. I I'm I'm always very amused at those kinds of cards. Um, the cards with lots of room for flavor text are always really intimidating for me. I am much more comfortable comfortable when I get like one line, like give me five or six words for a thing and I can do something snappy. But if I get to write like 30 words, oh no, that's so many different words I have to choose from. It gets so much harder. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, uh, and to some degree, we uh, part of the um, learnings for flavor text is even when you have tons of space doesn't necessarily mean uh, you need to fill it all up. So sometimes... Uh, a pithy one-liner is really still the right thing, mm -hmm. even though uh, you have the luxury of space on this particular card. Um, mm -hmm. That's that's part of the... And occasionally you're like, okay, I, I have a paragraph worth of information to get across, um, or a little mini-story that we're trying to conjure, and I'm going to really use all this space. Um, it's not always mm -hmm. the, uh, the right way to go, depending on the vibe of the card. Uh, speaking of cards with interesting vibes, it's, it's not a question we had on our list, but it does come to mind. So, uh, we get one card with the Wanderer on it. Mm -hmm. Uh, can you, can you talk a little bit about how that happened? Uh, cause it is, it is one of my favorite things in this set. Yeah. So, uh, we wanted to look for a place to do a Wanderer cameo, um, part of, uh, the Wanderer's, um, situation is that she planes walks from world to world in, a, in, a, in an erratic way. She, uh, unlike other planeswalkers, has to concentrate not to planeswalk. Um, so planeswalking just kind of happens to her. That, that's part of why she has become the Wanderer, is that um, she moves from world to world. Sort of her spark uh, makes that happen without her direct intervention. So she finds herself places. And uh, when she finds herself places... She uses her awesome big sword to deal with giant threats. And um, it turns out that Ikoria is a place that's full of giant threats. So, yeah, we wanted to uh, show off that that was happening. It, you know, she's not a key part of the story. She's not uh, supposed to be um, too distracting to the, the vibe of Ikoria. But we just thought it was fun mm -hmm. to have a, a one-off moment where, like, kind of an Easter egg. If you recognize her, great. Um, and, you know, that's that's an... an example of her finding herself in a world and figuring out what to do with it and probably moving on uh shortly after that yeah it, that that's just one of my favorite moments uh the wanderer is such a delightful character uh i got to um kind of help introduce her with uh War the spark on arena she was she was one of my favorites to write for that set uh in a set where i wrote like 18 characters <laughs> um but yeah she she is just her her attitude like i personally i i hope we like never get a real identity for her <laughs> like i kind of just want her to be the wanderer forever uh and and we just never get to know uh i i, I think that that's that is very cool and i would like that i just love the idea of having the white removal exiling removal spell in every set going forward just being the wanderer showing up on the plane and exiling something and then leaving <laughs> I'm a planeswalker and I'm focused on dealing with this uh, big monster in front of me. What do I do? I'm, I know who to call. Uh, <laughs> thanks, Walt the Wanderer. See you later. <laughs> uh, 
so one of the questions was, uh, knowing that the story would resolve a lot around Dranith and, and Luca and Jarena and, and that kind of location on this plane, uh, did you develop more in-depth details for Lava Brink and Skysail as well? Or is that something that we might see in like a return to Okoria or, or uh, you know, a supplementary product or something or what? We do have, yeah, we do have some world building detail about uh, those other cities. Um, we knew that Dranith would be the main focus. It's definitely the biggest city on the plane and uh, the center, like you said, of the story. Um, yeah, we've got some some uh, cool thoughts going into the backstory. I especially love um, there's some details about the origins of Skysail, that it was kind of born out of the ruins of a destroyed city that was on the ground. Mm -hmm. um, that monsters attacked this city and and just utterly laid waste to it. it like they breached the walls, it came down. Um, many died, and the survivors patched together what they could and took to the air as a way to kind of escape it. Um, and that really didn't get to get explored very much. Um, there was a, an interesting thing with Skysail in particular in the set um, that, largely speaking, um, when you mutate in the set, you want to mutate uh, onto creatures that give you cool abilities, com two cool combinations. And we knew that uh, mutate would only work on non-humans. Um, uh, so Dave Humphreys, who is the set design lead for the set, uh, really put an emphasis on um, creature keywords on non-humans. Um, mm -hmm. We expected Skysail to be an answer for like when there's a you know a two-two creature that's probably a human being and flying, that would be a, you know, representing a Skysail person. But sure thought that none mm -hmm. of the humans in the set had flying uh, because that <laughs> that keyword was like okay, we want to make sure that's saved for non-humans. So that when you mutate onto a flyer, you get the sweet upgraded awesome flyer. Um, so Skysail was sort of built for a purpose that the set didn't actually turn out to need that much. So we didn't see tons of it. Um, but uh, yeah, that was kind of the, the idea behind it was like every city has to decide how it protects itself from monsters in this world. Um, Draneth builds by, you know, protects itself by being invincible, by having the biggest walls, the most defenses. Uh, lava brink is literally built under a cascading sheet of lava, which I I, I love lava brink so much. <laughs> Me too. Like they, they really lean, leaned into uh, danger in order to keep away other kinds of danger, which I'm sure <laughs> has to lead to some sort of industrial accident sometimes. But um, uh, and then you know if there's a lava monster, then you're kind of out of luck. But uh, and Skysail uh, took to the air, which then you know you get eaten by Yorion or whatever. So. Um, mm. Ah, Yorian's a friend. <laughs> a huge good pal. A huge principle of world building for Ikoria was that monsters can't be solvable. Uh, so anything we, you know, the, the humans on this world, the cultures that are, arose on this world, need ways to defend themselves. But we what we want to make sure was that like monsters are the apex uh, being on this world. You never figure out how to completely solve all monsters. You might defend yourself from like big ground pounding four fours, but then you'll get eaten by flyers or you might uh, successfully, you know, keep away uh, flying creatures, but then burrowing monsters will get you. So we want to make sure that like no uh, human city or, or sanctuary had managed to figure out ways to through magic or physical defenses to completely solve monsters. This is just to remind me, uh, two weeks ago we had Django Wexler on to talk about the the book, and uh, Chris had this 
whole thing about indoor plumbing and Draneth and what if monsters come up through the sewers and do they need like guards at every toilet stall and <laughs> I think it's a very important <laughs> question because the monsters can get anywhere really right yes fundamentally yes that is the like part of the world building goal is that they can get you well then plumbing has to be one of the most terrifying things on this plane because monsters can swim and they can burrow so all you need is one monster to evolve into a swimming burrowing monster and before you know it, no toilet is safe. Humans are so delicious. That is just like, you know, a, a design flaw of, of people. I mean, it's not a flaw if you're a monster. It's just a matter of perspective. This is a set with a small wedge theme. Uh, so the monster clades and the triomes are kind of split into the five wedges. Um, but are, are the human settlements uh, kind of aligned with the areas that they are in. So like Dranath is in Savai, the the white, black, and red wedge. Is, is, is Dranath, like, did, did you kind of conceive a Dranath of having a similar color identity to that location? Similar, but not not mapped uh, exactly to the, the wedge color combinations. I, I would characterize informally, unofficially, uh, Dranath as being white, black, but maybe not red. Um, mm-hmm. We, we didn't, it's not, you know, it is a wedge set and it has many cycles that, that focus on those three color combinations, uh, but we were not building a factionalized set. Like Tar- mm-hmm. Tarkir was, was these color combinations and each color combination also represented a humanoid uh, grouping, a faction that uh, expresses the values of those three colors. Here, it was really like we, we have... Um, uh, hold on for a sec. Uh, I don't remember wedges on Tarkir. I don't think that's true. I, that's a lie. That sounds <laughs> yeah. fake. Right. It's just I, the dragon lords, right? Yeah, it's just the, it's just the dragon lords and this uh, this dragon liking guy who has no parents. <laughs> that is the current scenario. It's it's funny because that could be Sarkin or Ugin. <laughs> I guess is the Ur dragon a parent? Does that count? If you're just kind of like a multiversal force of dragoness, is that that count as parent? I'm sure that's what we usually mean by the word parent. <laughs> but yeah, so uh, wedges and uh, kind of the looseness of it is what you were talking about. Yeah, so the, uh, kind of like in Theros, where the different polis or polises um, have uh, loose color associations, but are not uh, strictly you know defined by a magic color combination. Um, similarly here, yeah, like I would say that lava brink is red white probably and um sky sail is something like blue red or blue white um but yeah we were not trying to and, and there are definitely more cities that we have not explored across Akoria. these are just the three main ones that we focused on this time um we were we were looking for humans to be kind of contrasting to the um the monster clades and the monster clades really are and, and the uh the biomes the triomes around them are what uh, express those three color combinations. I think this was a Brian question. Uh, are the bonding occurrences linked to the mending? Um, we did not think of them as linked to the mending, no. In what way would, would they be linked to the mending? I, 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 I don't know. I Honestly, I don't ponder these kinds of things that much anymore because I work enough ahead and expend enough speculative energy actually creating things for the game uh but 
Uh, I I am kind of amused whenever something new is created and it ties back to the mending. Like like it makes sense. This is like literally all of existence shifted metaphysically, so like things are bound to change because of it. But uh, uh, I'm always kind of amused when uh, you know we learn a new thing and it turns out it was tied back to this old thing because it's weird to think that the mending is an old thing now. But mm -hmm. time is. Yeah, I think uh, Brian's question there was because the occurrences of bonding seem to increase recently, according to the, the story, at least. And so mm -hmm. maybe there was some question there about, like, did the mending influence that in any way? Um, but who knows? I, I, I mean, that, that was pretty directly uh, implied to be a result of whoever was tampering with the Ozolith. Ooh, I wonder who that was. Um, uh, it's a mystery. It is a mystery. Uh, I'm I'm a little curious, um, Doug. You mentioned that you really love Hellions, mm -hmm. and Hellions are not one of the five major clades on uh, Ikoria. So I'm wondering if you have of the five clades that are you know the most major ones, do you have a favorite? Mm, that's, that's a great question. I mean, we we chose those those five creature types to get a nice range of, first of all, like creature types that, that feel like monsters, but also mm -hmm. uh, a, a combination of five that would hit a lot of different kinds of players that like among these five, hopefully we, we, you know, hit you with at least one of them, uh, you know, so we already had like beasts and cats and dinosaurs. And then what if, what if elementals as kind of like a more mystical take on a fun monster pet? And then, hmm, I think we left out the goths. <laughs> what, what, are, what are the people who like the, the creepy crawlies going to enjoy in this world? Does it all, all have to be you know, huge stompy monsters or uh, uh, magical or adorable things? Like here's the nightmares to kind of be the, uh, the creepy ones. Um, as we worked on them, the, the beasts were, were uh, part of the set really, really early, but... Um, Jesper Ising's concept art for them just knocked out of the park, and I just loved where the beasts got. They got the, you know, it's kind of this um, herbivore, um, hooved mammal kind of vibe with horns and shaggy fur, and um, they really hit like the gentle giant uh, space that that really appealed mm -hmm. to me. Um, I mean, maybe it's just because I'm, you know, ha have a lot of green in my soul, <laughs> and. Uh, like huge thing that gets to be your pal and when it nuzzles you you know it loves you like that that vibe really hit me really really hard so being able to do that and um hit those that color combination was was really fun for me yeah like this this set does some neat things with the color pie especially like in the commander product because we have I, I mean, especially, especially in contrast with Tarkir, where, you know, like, Mardu was these marauding hordes, but we have Jarena as the commander product face card, who is, uh, yes, also, uh, you know, a, a martial leader, but is, like, really brave and good and, and just a fantastic hero character. And then, uh, I mean, relating to the beast specifically, we have uh, Otrimi, who's just, like, this playful little baby monster. Mm -hmm. Uh, in, in Saltai, the colors that in Tarkir were like murderous and venomous and evil. Yeah, uh, part of what's fun about uh, color combinations that way, uh, we have done much exploration of the three color combinations, is that you can center a different color and get a completely different vibe for that triad. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, 
Mardu was really focused in red. And that uh, was kind of like an, a, um, you know, with an eye toward eventually we're going to drop a color and, and focus on an ally color combination. Um, so mm -hmm. it was never the enemy color that was the center for the, mm -hmm. for the clans. And, um, excuse me, the, the made up historical clans from a long time ago that are no longer existing. Um, <laughs> but in Ikoria, we we were like, no, we're, we're going to focus on the enemy color being the center. So, uh, green is the center of, you know, quote, Sultai here. Um, and that has a completely different feel from Sultai. Um, so that was really fun and a way to, yeah, if you, if you're in the Savai colors, you are center white, even if you have the, uh, red and black of Mardu also in you. Um, so really, you know, wedge, wedge is weird y'all like wedge is very strange. <laughs> it is, you know, a color and it's two enemies is going to create a lot of weird internal tension. Um, mm -hmm. so you kind of, it really helps to have a color, uh, be more focal or more prominent. Um, and so, yeah, like just, just the simple, uh, trick of focusing on a different color of the three, uh, generated a really fun, different vibe for those three color combinations. Yeah. I, I like when magic kind of pushes color pie things into new directions and new interpretations. Uh, we've seen, uh, like even, even just like flavorfully in terms of things that the colors can do. Uh, one of the things I love that's happened recently is uh, pushing polymorphing into red. While, uh, you know, those kinds of cards don't show up often, but uh, I, I really like the vibe they have in red versus the vibe they had in blue. Like, in, in blue, they felt manipulative. Um, and I guess they're still in blue. It, it feels a little more cruel in blue, whereas in red, it's just kind of capricious and chaotic, and, and I appreciate that difference. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. In red, it feels like maybe a, a indomitable creativity kind of thing. Yeah, and, and a kind of, let's press the button and see what happens kind of vibe. Mm -hmm. rather than, <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> rather than focusing on the, like, transmutation feel. Just, uh, this was not on the list, but uh, when it came to a character like Jarena, who is the center of the Ikoria story that we have, was she developed before Django was given the story, or was her character really built by Django uh, and then maybe ported into the Commander product? Uh, there was um, an outline early on, I believe before Django got started, that Jarena was part of. Um, and so both the Commander product and Django's novel, I think, uh, this is... Actually, might be a good Django question, but my understanding is that Jarena was uh, part of an early outline that informed both the set and the Commander product and Django's uh, novel. So, um, I mean, and Ikoria had a cool uh, tool that other sets hadn't had before, which is these Commander decks that were associated with the world so strongly, and uh, that gave us more space to kind of use um, the new cards in those Commander decks to... Uh, be an extension of the set. Like we had more space to uh, show off cool legendary characters, to you know sh deliver more flavor text, to to say more about the set. So um, we deliberately created quotes um, in so it's like attributed quotes in the main set that uh, were quotes by legendary characters that were only in the commander set. So kind of a, a cross pollination of. Know, kind of star building these commander legends from within the main set so if you only saw one or the other you would 
hear about these characters that you could find in the other product. Yeah, uh, I I really liked getting a whole bunch of extra legends uh, from this world. Uh, you know, I I am a huge fan of Cathril. Uh Ladybugs are my absolute favorite clade of beetles, and like Magic has a legendary nightmare ladybug now which <laughs> is a thing and uh i i think bringing a partner with back for the uh bonders and monsters is amazing mm-hmm. um i'm i'm working on a uh a, a sky shark deck uh, <laughs> i want the just guy cyclers but i i i don't i don't care about the dinosaur cat babies i want sharks but uh yeah and and i it's an interesting tension because I think it's really cool that they aligned with the set, uh, but also, you know, uh, at least for me personally, as uh, a deep cut for those, um, it loses out on the ability to, you know, reference things from all kinds of older bits of lore, like uh, past commander sets have, you know, last year we got a new Volrath card and stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, And... uh, I think it's it's interesting and smart that this happened this year because we're going to get Commander Legends uh, mm-hmm. later, and uh, that that feels like that is taking a lot of that. Uh, let's bring the old into the modern era kind of vibe, and and kind of freed up room for Commander Twenty Twenty to kind of try this new thing. Yeah, I, th- I think you, we, you'll find that there's plenty of uh, places for us to explore those kind of like not current world associated legends mm-hmm. and flavor there's uh we're definitely looking for for you know sh- places and, and venues for that so i don't yeah. think the well, i mean we, we we got to do some in uh modern horizons which is so exciting it's it is it's still surreal that that's the first set i work for uh, <laughs> that's a wild one <laughs> i yeah i was not prepared <laughs> at all <laughs> um, for for what that set contained um well welcome to the pool get in the deep end <laughs> <laughs> yes uh, uh i i although although like now that i saw what the set once i saw what the set was i understood why kelly had wanted me on that set so uh you know you know uh you've been working on magic a long time so uh you've you've worked with all kinds of worlds and all kinds of characters um especially in you know you know so you you kind of started after the mending and and where planeswalkers kind of became the prominent thing as uh branded characters and storytelling vehicles uh so uh of of all the planeswalkers you've worked with who has been your favorite to work with hmm. and, and and write and think about and and stuff well i, I definitely have a, a miniature chandra lodged firmly within my heart um <laughs> uh but you know an early favorite was was a johnny um mm-hmm. uh my first major fiction project for magic uh has a johnny as the protagonist for um back for alara and um you know the the archetype of big strong cat man who can probably break you in half but is uh, only looking out to bring the best out of you is still like that gives me warm fuzzies to this day. Like, mm-hmm. um, like Gideon was kind of the moral center of the the gate watch, but a Johnny is uh, the moral center of maybe magic. <laughs> um, <laughs> like in terms of like a, a planeswalker who can, who does the most with what his abilities are to do good. I feel like that's a Johnny. Yeah. I, I feel like um, 
Gideon probably lacked uh, a bit of wisdom and a bit of scope in 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 how to use his abilities to help others, you know, in, until the end. Um, whereas, uh, you know, it, it, it always amuses me that when you, like, break down the actual magic timeline, uh, Ajani is one of the planeswalkers who's been a planeswalker for the least amount of time, but he is still one of the wisest and, and most helpful and... Um, most determined and and trusting uh characters in you know the whole planeswalker pantheon right now <laughs> like like he's i know we're we're four ish years from alara since he's been a planeswalker and and chandra's been a planeswalker for half her life like it's like 12 or 13 years something like that and she's still a disaster <laughs> and my hope is that she will always be a disaster <laughs> Uh, she is, uh, she, she is my second favorite Planeswalker, uh, only after Kiora, because Kiora is all my best and worst qualities turned up to 11. Uh, <laughs> Chandra is also many of them, but, uh, you know, you know, what, one of my favorite things about Chandra is that, um, she cares so much for helping people and she has such a strong drive to do good. And, you know, uh, whether, whether you see her pyromancy as uh, a, a blessing or a curse uh, in concert with that you know she she wants to help and bolster people and she wields the power of utter destruction and devastation right. uncontrollable violence uh, and and the tension that exists in her with that uh, I think is fascinating and, and kind of uh, the thing that kind of boils at the core of her identity. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I love you stated it very well. Like, like the the good-hearted planeswalker whose power suite is only destructive. How how do you um, how do you do good with with an ability, the thing that makes you you know what you are, that identifies you as a mage and as a planeswalker, um, when that can only do harm? She, we've never. Um, I mean, other than like warming up some soup, like what what can <laughs> Chandra do with what? what she's good at, which she's very, very good at, other than tear, tear things down. You have to harm the right things is what you have to do. That's right. And that's, that's the, the best thing she can do is like aim her in the right direction. And then you add in the fact that um, she, she will basically fail to successfully be part of any plan ever. So you, <laughs> you can't even aim, aim her. <laughs> God, there, there is a, there's a line I wrote for one of the Chandra cards from M20 for Arena. Something along the lines of a plan being one of the worst things that she could think of possible. Like, mm. like that is the last thing she wants to do is follow a plan. Sometimes we uh, have little meetings with, relatable. with, um, with authors to kind of like get the different voices of different planeswalkers, right? And mm -hmm. the, the advice I always give for how you write Chandra is, okay, think of what she cares about. Think of what she would do in, in to react to the current situation and then she's already doing it like there's no <laughs> there's no deliberation you don't go like you know you don't get to talk down chandra she's already setting something on fire um so yeah if you're jace or someone with a little more forethought you're always head and hands going like how did we get to this again jace is a fascinating character who i i am very excited to work with someday I've written, I think, a majority of the characters so far. Uh, Jace is still on the list of folks I have not gotten to write, so I, I, I am looking forward to him because he is, God, what a, what a sweet little disaster human. Yeah, was, uh, in his own ways. Yeah, I was gonna say Jace is a disaster in a non-Chandra way, but in his own way, he like to some degree 
Jace has not matured into the incredible abilities that Jace has. And like, I I would agree that he hasn't matured there yet, but I think he knows that he can. Like, especially like post Ixalan, I I think we're at a point with Jace where where he knows the work that has to be done or that work has to be done, and um. I, I don't he, he he is fascinating. He's a character that I, I really want to dig into uh, one day. I think of um, I think it was an old, old Star Trek where um, Kirk is talking to Spock about um, that that like blood boiling ritual that Vulcans go through mm-hmm. um, and how um, you know it it ha- like you can't understand humans because humans are always, always have these strong emotions and that's that's what what guides us in this, these decisions and spock is like no vulcans have those emotions too we just deal with them like <laughs> and to me that's jace like he he's his emotional intelligence is awakening the, the longer he lives uh but he still uh ends up going the the smartest long-term decision whenever he can so mm-hmm. that's that's what's really humanizing jace for me right now is that um, it's not that he's just an, a, a logic robot. He, he feels right. for, you know, he feels the consequences of the decisions he makes, uh, but he makes the right one anyway. And that's, that's actually heroic, which is, um, a, I, is way different from, I make the right decisions because I don't really feel the consequences of, of my actions. Oh, he feels them so much. He has so much trauma. <laughs> Holy heck. <laughs> um but yeah i mean that kind of touches on something that uh I, I think a lot of people who think about um kind of the color pie in general and magic's planeswalker characters specifically is uh i think sometimes people can get a little overly reductionistic with traits uh it doesn't matter what color a planeswalker is they are people who feel things and think things and um I, th- I think what's interesting for me is th- the way the color pie can shift the way, you know, you know, like all planeswalkers get angry, but what each character does with that anger and how they deal with it is different, you know, depending on the color pie. And then even within colors be different between characters. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, I, I really appreciate the way magic has, um, built up this really deep and granular system for, for character work. Uh, you know, n- now that I've been writing for arena for about a year and a half now. Yeah. Yeah. The, the, the tough nut to crack is still, uh, what if you are mono green? What do you, what do you like as a person? <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's, yeah, that's a mood. Uh, <laughs> I, I having, I've, I've written Vivian twice now. Um, I wrote, I, I guess we had Green Black Garrick in Eldraine. Um, we talked a little bit. And then uh, I wrote uh, Zhang Yingu in War of the Spark. And, and, and like figuring out, you know, how is Vivian different than Garrick is really tricky. Mm-hmm. And um, I, I think I'm, I, I think I figured something out. <laughs> um, uh, but, but they are still like very similar. And uh, yeah, I agree that's, uh, pretty sure i do have to say that is not as difficult as writing ugin uh, <laughs> is the 
Well, what's harder than a monocolored character is a character with no colors. <laughs> you don't have colors. Like, but like, it's not even, it's not even the color. It's just his personality is so hard to get at. Like he, he is probably my least favorite script I wrote for World of Spark. Uh, I, I just like look at the work I did. I'm like, I got like 95% of the way there, but like the 5% really irks me. He's just, he's so cryptic and bizarre and metaphoric and, uh, I love him lots, but geez, he's difficult to work with. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, now I'm wondering, uh, since I'm probably the only person who can ask these questions, I mean, do you think we're going to see more Ugin in the future, Doug? Uh, normally, when I'm at a, a PAX panel or something like that, and I get a question <laughs> like that, my normal response is, is that something you'd like to see? And then <laughs> people, um, you know, cheer or clap, and I get kind of like a data point in my mind. So I'll, I'll put the question back to you. Is that something you'd like to see? Yes. Yes. I, I think in general, uh, pretty much any character, if you ask enough people if that's something they want to see more of, you'll get a yes. That's, but that's, I definitely uh, have a soft spot I mean, for Ugin. I mean, like, I could do without seeing Soren ever again. <laughs> I, I could do without seeing Luca ever again. God, I hate that guy. What a oh, jerk. Luca is just the most wonderful and disgusting villain that we've had in a long time. Like, I I was a big Nicol Bolas fan, uh, as much as you can be a fan of Nicol Bolas. Mm-hmm. And losing Nicol Bolas as a primary story character, I was like, I don't know who could possibly be a villain that really fits that niche. And then we got Luca, and I'm like, oh, I despise you. <laughs> I must build a deck around you. <laughs> No, he he is really fascinating. Though we've we've come off of uh, two sets in a row now with very charismatic kind of villains between Oko and Ashiok. Um, I, I guess we consider Calix a vision, villain-ish antagonist at least. Yeah, antagonist. He he's baby though. He he doesn't really know what's going on. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, like I I don't know. It it's been a while since Magic's just had like a terrible person be a villain in a set and and luca luca gets to be that which i kind of enjoyed Mm -hmm. Uh, he was really hard to write though he's too much like my teenage me (laughs) kind of uh you know we talked about a bunch of akoria things uh and any last thoughts about akoria or kind of uh world building in general you would like to share with people before we uh head out for this episode i mean akoria was um started from a kind of um a concept but it really, like, like here, you know, for the world builders out there, uh, keep working on your idea. If it's if it's at the I have a cool idea stage, until it gets to the point where I this I feel how how this feels. Like I have an emotional response to the way this world works. Um, a, a, a playground for monsters is totally awesome, and um, a world where we get to see stompies all over the place and all the different varieties of monsters totally great. Um, and evolution and mutation, great. Um, but until you have, how does the player connect with that world, or how does the reader connect with that world? You're not done. That's the that's the lesson of Aquaria. I I, I guess I should ask Jay's question. Uh, Jay, Jay <laughs> couldn't be here. He's he's dealing with some uh, family things uh, this week. Uh, but uh, Doug, Jay wanted me to ask you uh, before he and I started contracting with Wizards, which one of us was more annoying to deal with <laughs> in terms of our speculation and predictions? <laughs> <laughs> it's like, I'm not going to, to create a score for the two of you. 
I will say well, that. Then how will we know who's winning? <laughs> You're both losing. <laughs> now the uh, that the impulse once you have access to someone at Wizards of the Coast, it is very common to react exactly the way both of you did, which is like <gasps> now the door is thrown open. I get to ask him the things. Like I, I signed an NDA. What like let, tell me all the stuff. Um, that is a you know as someone who has sat in interviews for people joining at Wizards of the Coast dozens of times. Um, yeah, that you, 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 that is a very natural impulse. That is nothing to be weirded out about. Uh, it, I, I can say it's very exciting. Um, I know exciting things, which uh, we're going to end an episode, so I don't accidentally say anything, because <laughs> that would be very bad. I do have one last little thing. Just how how are you handling everything right now, Doug? Are you doing okay? Working from home, things like that. It is a weird, weird time. Uh, mm-hmm. Yeah, just like I, it helped my brain a lot to think of this time not as I'm working from home, but that I'm, you know, holding up during a, a worldwide disaster and getting some work done along the way. Um, mm-hmm. like, like the fact of the matter is, in a year, we will want to have been working on magic sets all this time. You know, there will need to be uh, magic cards going out the door and, uh, the sets beyond those will have to be worked on as well. So like, there's no way to stop, but um, thinking of it in terms of your, your primary uh, focus for this time is to be alive. And your next focus beyond that is getting uh, awesome creative work done. So that, that priority uh, wasn't, I had them reversed at first and and it kind of weirded me out. And, uh, Doing better now. Yes. It's interesting because I just work from my bed the whole time. Uh, so this wasn't a big shift, but I, I was very excited to excited to start working once like quarantine set in. I got I got very creatively restless when I couldn't leave the house and had, you know, got kind of bored in here doing nothing. But uh yeah, the, the part that's really strange is that Wizards of the Coast is is a is so creatively stimulating by going into the office and talking with your coworkers. Like all around you, mm-hmm. there are cool conversations happening where smart people are figuring out weird uh, mechanical or creative or design problems all around you. And you can just sort of like be part of or you know, overhear cool conversations like that all the time. And now that doesn't happen. You have to on purpose uh, ring somebody up or chat someone or whatever to have those conversations. So it really diminishes kind of your spidey sense of the vibe of how things are going with various projects. Um, so that, that part has been challenging is like the communication vectors just have been thinned down and uh, you have to go seek out um, people to have those conversations in order for them to happen. Well, uh, I, I certainly hope things uh, continue to go to go well enough in that regard. Uh, you know, imagine working on stuff for magic that will come out next year. So uh I, I guess that's going to be kind of where we close down this episode. And uh, we hope all our listeners out there are, are handling quarantine well, too. And, uh, we, you know, we super appreciate you folks who continue tuning in with us. And uh, ho- hopefully our, our little shows are helping alleviate the, the boredom and the stress a little bit. Uh, so for uh, folks that uh, want to do more to keep our show running, you can head over to patreon.com slash the Vorthoscast. Uh, everyone who supports our show gets access to our Discord community, where Vorthoses from around the world are, uh, you know, talking all about Accordia still, and, uh, you know, uh, 
the day we recorded this was when the secret layer dropped for the Godzilla basics went up and, and that was very exciting. And, uh, you know, we're all still talking animal crossing and, uh, you know, it's, it's a good time. We have a, a great community of folks. Everyone's very friendly and welcoming. And, uh, you know, if, if that is something you want to be a part of, you know, we'd love to have you here. Yeah. I'll be, uh, I'll be contributing to the ZD zone tomorrow. When, when are you going to make me ZD, though? I am I am making another thing of ZD tomorrow, so I will be posting some pics in the ZD zone. Just uh, just slap some in an envelope and send it. It's on its way up here. I'll, I, I would appreciate that. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, uh, and once again, Doug, uh, thank you very much for coming on our show. It is a delight having you. Uh, it, was a, it was a delight working with you on Akoria. It's uh, very exciting that it's out. So uh, take care of your, yourself. Thanks. Thanks so much for having me. Thank you so much for coming on. And uh, thank you, everyone, for listening. This has been the Forthos Cast. <laughs>